Again, that's Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, on page 1170 in your pew Bible. I'm supposed to wait till everybody's ready. I'm watching. (laughs) All right, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But... When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you for the visual aid of a wonderful, beautiful child. Well, good morning. It's a real uh, pleasure to be here, Um, not just because uh, Cambridge as a city and maybe as a university rejected me, rejected my wife (laughs) and my son, and I'm not bitter about it at all. Um, By the grace of God, we all ended up at Warwick University, not the son, because he wasn't around yet. But uh, anyway, lovely, lovely to be here. Um, I want to talk to you about this spirit of adoption, and I know for some of us, um, I might as well call this talk, please don't listen, you won't be interested. So I need to help you see why this matters, Uh, and in order to do that, I'm going to have to show you a picture that causes people to fall out. Um, You you don't need a trigger alert, it hasn't got a kind of minimum age range on it, it just causes people to fall out, and I'm going to show it to you, and I hope we're not going to fall out. Okay, this is a user-generated product photo. Someone was trying to sell a a dress on Amazon, and so they took a picture of it and they posted it, but it has caused people around the world to fall out with one another. Just ask your neighbour, what colour is the dress? Have a go. Ask your neighbour, what colour is the dress? All right? Let's see. Are you still friends? I think so. Um, Someone on this side of the room, put your hand up. Just tell me what color the dress is. Black and blue. blue. Let's let's pause there. Black and blue. Who sees black and blue in this dress? Yeah, interesting. Now, my theory is that although, you know, you, you might not know it, you are secretly a Baptist. Okay. Us Baptists, we see 
blue water everywhere where other people <laughs> might not. Uh, someone on this side, tell me, tell me something different. What do you, who doesn't see black and blue? What do you see? Yes? White and gold. Who sees white and gold? Okay, good. You are Anglicans. <laughs> you see white dresses and gold crowns where other people don't. It's a b- bizarre phenomenon, isn't it? We're looking at the same photo, and it wouldn't have mattered which side of the room or how close to the front or how old you are or your gender. None of that makes a difference. But there's something weird going on, isn't it? Someone told me that the best thing uh, to explain it is your brain is trying to figure out what natural light is in the photo. And once it thinks it's found natural light, it works out what all the other colours are in respect to that natural light. The thing is, there is no natural light in this photo just looks like there is. That's artificial light. So your brain is already tricked. And then it commits to something. It says white and gold or blue and black. And no matter how hard you try, whether you just scrunch up your face, just look through one eye or stand on your head, you can't force yourself to see the other color that other people see. Now, for me, this is a really interesting picture or a little metaphor of what difference the gospel makes. You know, believing the Christian gospel doesn't just add a few extra propositions into your things that you believe to be true about the universe. The gospel changes everything. The the gospel is not just a, a kind of new app on your phone. It's a new operating system so that everything is different now. And you, at work, or in your home even, uh, or in your neighbourhood, you might be looking at the same things, the same news headlines, the same uh, challenges in this city as everyone else, but because of something internal to you, you see something different. Remember Paul in Romans 12, he talks about the renewing of our minds. The gospel transforms the way uh, that we see everything. So I want to put that a little bit to the test. I want to show you a picture and I'll tell you what most people see and then I want you to do a bit of biblical theology. Uh, If you're new to church, that just means have a guess at what God sees in this picture. That's the question. So let me tell you what everyone else sees and then you tell me what you think God sees. This is Robert. It's actually not his real name because Robert is currently in the UK care system. That's why I can't show you Robert's face, because we're trying to protect his identity. And Robert is five years old. He's been in foster care for most of his life. And Robert has actually been available to be adopted for most of his life. Now the thing is, most adopters coming forward, once they get approved, they're allowed to look in a little book called Be My Parent. It's a really tough book to look through because it's got hundreds of profiles of children just like Robert. Now, the thing is that most adopters coming forward come forward because of infertility. And now hear this, infertility is not an issue I think we as the church across the UK handle very well. In fact, sadly, uh, for couples wrestling with infertility, church can be one of the hardest places to be. Because we love kids and we're so family focused, that can put an additional pressure on. And sometimes well-meaning members of the congregation will give couples a nudge and say, when are you going to get started? And and they haven't disclosed the secret pain of infertility. And so we've added another pressure on. All that being said, 
for many people, adoption is the third worst way to have a child. There's natural birth, if that works for us. There's IVF for some, and, and if that doesn't work, well, there's always adoption. When infertility is your driver into adoption, guess what you want? You want a baby. And, and you don't just want any baby. You want a, a perfect baby. With no strings and no baggage, that, that's what you want. You want what you've not been able to have. And then comes Robert's profile. And Robert's five years old. Well, that wasn't what I wanted. That's, what that's not what I'm missing. And then you read Robert's bio and it gets worse. Because Robert has speech delay. And he gets frustrated sometimes that he can't speak in the way that he wants to. And so at school, that sometimes works out as difficult to manage behavior. And that's in Robert's profile because we want people to adopt with their eyes open and not have some kind of romantic dream about it. So Robert's got a lot of things against him. And so people look at Robert and they say, well, hold on. If he's hard to manage at five, what's he going to be like at 15? What's he going to be like at 18? That sounds like a lot of hassle. That comes like it's going to be difficult. Robert isn't what I want. It's not what I ordered. Therefore... He's not for me. He's someone else's problem. And they turn the page, and it's almost like they say it out loud, Robert is unadoptable. And that's why Robert has been waiting and waiting and waiting. The sad thing is that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. That the longer a child waits in the care system, the less their chances of getting adopted. Because the older they get, the less people are willing to step forward. And sadly, the stats, and again, there are so many people that break the stats, right? It's not always the way things work out. But 60% of the children that come into care never go home again. They stay in the care system. And they stay until often they're about 18 years old. Some stay a little bit longer. But at 18, they age out of foster care. And then the stats around care leavers kick in. Maybe you know this. But... I I remember visiting Oxford and Cambridge and there seems to be a challenge around homelessness often, doesn't there? And sometimes the church gets involved in that, which is brilliant. But care leavers make up 1% of the population. But they make up 25% of homeless people. Or maybe your church is passionate about helping people in prison, helping people find hope. Brilliant. Well, guess what? Care leavers make up 40% of the whole prison population and 50% of the male prison population under 25. Or maybe you're you're someone who's exercised about sexual exploitation and prostitution. You think there needs to be a way to offer hope to people in that kind of circumstance. Well, young women who are in prostitution situations, in some areas it's 30%, in other areas it's 70% of sex workers are young women that have aged out of care. These are huge social challenges, aren't they? And our nation's struggling to find out how to help. And and wonderfully, the church across the UK is stepping forward and offering practical help. But I say, hang on, why wait until the system has chewed people up and spat them out to get involved? Why not get involved when they're five years old and they need a forever family? Wouldn't that be a different approach? Wouldn't that demonstrate that the family was quite a good idea for the healing of the nations. All right, you've heard what most people think. What do you think God sees? I'm going to make this a little bit competitive. Uh, You might not enjoy this, but I think it will be fun. Uh, You can be Oxford. 
you can be Cambridge. I want you to talk to your neighbour and think of three things that you know from the Bible that God sees when he looks at Robert. I call it biblical theology, if you like, but if you don't like that language, just have an imagine. We've been singing to this amazing God this morning. What do you think when he sees Robert? Have a go. You have two minutes because this is speed theology and we need to act quickly. Have a go. see you some of you have nailed the three things already good for you um i'm going to give oxford the chance as the away team uh to go first uh we're rejected by cambridge but i I work for oxford university now so you know i I know we we we, oxford take the cast off so that's fine um does someone want to um go first What, what does god see yes please Yes, a person that's fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139. My, my daughter has a mirror in her bedroom. She's 17 years old. And we've put that Bible text underneath the mirror. Because when she looks in that mirror, I want her to know, no matter what the magazines say or her friends say or the YouTubers say, she is fearfully and wonderfully made. She does not have to conform to some kind of beauty standard. God thinks she is fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, whether you feel that or not, that is true for you this morning, isn't it? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that is true for Robert, whatever his family circumstances. Whether his parents want him to be here in the world or not, God fearfully and wonderfully made him. Beautiful. Oxford in the lead, 1-0. Do you have anything? What you got? Robert is God's child. That's interesting, isn't it? So, so because God created Robert, God takes interest in Robert. God, do you think it's safe to say this? I know, I know this is theologically challenging. Is it safe to say God loves Robert? You happy, you happy with that? I think we could proof text it, couldn't we? John 3, 16, for God so loved middle class white people from normal families. No, no, that's not how it goes, is it? For God so loved the world. Every single person on this planet is loved by God. Irrespective of their heritage, their economic status, their ethnicity, their gender, their religion, their sexuality. The world is loved by God. Now, the world has not responded to God's love, as we ought to. But God's heart for the world is love. And so God loves Robert as a precious child. Really good. One all. Do you have any more? Suffer the little children to come unto me. Luke 18. Remember the disciples were nervous that Jesus might be too busy to spend time with little children. They didn't think that when the rich young ruler turns up later on. He gets immediate access because he's rich and powerful. But Jesus says, no, I want the kids to come because for such of these is the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, God shows incredibly radical, challenging acceptance of those people that others would think were not important. 
and that included children. In fact, you could say, when you read the Old Testament, that God shows particular concern for three groups of people. The widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Now, the word orphan in the Old Testament is slightly controversial. Basically, it means the fatherless. Those that are not living under the protection of a father. I think the closest parallel in the UK system is someone living in the care system. They're not living under the protection of their father. We don't call them orphans because they probably have living parents. And in many churches, those living parents are in our churches. And they're they're living with the pain of having a child removed from them because they don't have the capacity to care for them. So that's why we don't use the word orphan. But God is particularly attentive to the vulnerable and particularly attentive to vulnerable children. So he says, let them come to me. Brilliant. Do we need to end it on a draw? Otherwise, we're all going to get a bit awkward. Let there be a late winner then. Uh, Anyone else got anything else? You you guys are good at the Bible, so give me some more. Um, To be honest, I did this with a charismatic Baptist church, uh, and they got more than four. (laughs) Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift, aren't they? Uh, No child is unwanted by God. Uh, and therefore we should value them and see them positively as a gift, not as a problem. Nice. I think you might want to say that Robert is made in the image of God. Are you comfortable with that? And as someone made in the image of God, there are some tremendous things that we now need to say about him. You see, I brought my phone with me, and on my phone I've probably got 10,000 pictures of my family. And in the break, you could see a few pictures But imagine you were to spit on my phone while it was demonstrating a picture of my family. At one level, it doesn't matter. I bought a Samsung phone. It's waterproof. (laughs) But at a symbolic level, what are you saying? When you spit on an image, that shows me how you feel about the one being imaged, doesn't it? So if Robert is made in the image of God... How we treat him is an indicator of how we feel about God. It's why the two greatest commandments are linked. Do you remember what they were? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You cannot say that you love God if you don't love your neighbour because your neighbour is made in the image of God and therefore what you do or don't do for the image is a reflection of how you feel about God. But there's another reason why we need to hear uh, Robert's story. And we had it read to us so well by Elizabeth. I want you to open it up. Um, And I'm hoping some of the things that we've been saying will just drop into place um, as we explore this together. So you probably know the book of Galatians or the letter to the Galatians is Paul writing to help people that are confused about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And they're particularly confused because a group of people have come and said to be a true member of God's family, you still need to obey all the Old Testament laws, especially including circumcision. And so Paul writes to kind of put people straight. That's not the way it works. They've misunderstood the gospel. Um, And part of his argument is here in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul's talking about the Jewish nation, when he says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. We know, don't we, that in the Old Testament, all these promises are made to the people of Israel, and they are yes and amen in Jesus, and therefore the Jewish nation have an incredible inheritance. 
But before they inherit it, while they're still young, while they're still minors, they might feel they've been bossed about by the law. And they feel, in some ways, enslaved. And then Paul goes on to say, well, you know what? Verse 3, so also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. I think he's extending that to include everyone else too. Some of us were enslaved by the law. Others of us were enslaved by the elemental spiritual forces of this world. We were held captive. Maybe you know that from your own backstory. The stuff that you were involved in before you became a Christian that weren't giving you life and health They were giving you slavery and death. It could have been an addictive relationship. It could have been an actual substance addiction. Uh, It could be an addiction to work. Whatever it is, they held you captive. But, this is like a parallel to Ephesians chapter 2. But, verse 4, when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. God saw us in our captivity and he came along to set us free. And that's the way we like to talk about the gospel, don't we? The the gospel of redemption. I was a slave, God has set me free. That is wonderful. And many of us, that is our story. Or or sometimes we talk about the gospel as a gospel of forgiveness. That that once I was uh, a sinner and I had all these things against me, that God had a list of all my sins, and God has forgiven me and released me from that. That's brilliant. Or maybe we sometimes think about the gospel in terms of rescue, that I was in so much trouble, it was like I was in a deep pit that I couldn't get myself out of, and God came along and he rescued me. And those are wonderful, wonderful expressions of the gospel. But that isn't the pinnacle of the gospel. Maybe you've heard of a guy called J.I. Packer. I always wanted him to meet J.R. Hartley, but I don't know if that's ever happened. J.I. Packer, an amazing Reformed theologian, he says that adoption is the highest blessing that the gospel affords. Okay, It even beats justification. Now, if you know J.I. Packer, that's a big deal because he is a Reformed theologian and justification is the most important thing in that world often. But J.I. Packer says adoption trumps all of those things. Now think to yourself, why? What is it that adoption gives you in a relationship with God that redemption, forgiveness and rescue don't? Well, let's think about rescue. Has anyone here ever been rescued? Maybe by a paramedic uh, or a lifeboat. I know we're quite away from the coast, but you never know. Has anyone ever been rescued? Yeah, you have, son. What, what was your what was your rescue? You were in the sea. Was it a life and death kind of situation? A riptide. That sounds pretty scary. We haven't rehearsed this. This is just, I'm learning this for the first time. Okay, riptides, sea rescue. That sounds like life and death. Okay. <laughs> Who was it rescued you? The lifeguards, brilliant. What was the name of the lifeguard? This life and death situation, riptide, a lifeguard came and rescued you. What was the name of the lifeguard? How how much contact have you had with the lifeguard since? None. Christmas cards? (laughs) Tea, coffee, Christmas dinner, anything? You go to the same beach. That does not count. Look, look, think about this. Some people think that Christianity is all about being rescued by God. 
The thing about rescue is it does not guarantee relationship, does it? You can be rescued and you go, thank you very much, I'll get on with my life, you get on with your life, see you later. And to be honest, that's how some people treat God. I've got my get out of hell free card, isn't it? I I, I believe the gospel, I'll see you in heaven. Or in the new heavens and the new earth, whichever way you want to play it. That's not what God wants. God rescues us so that we could have relationship. You and I get to call God Father. That is the most amazing privilege in the world. And you have that only because God chose to adopt you. Does that make sense? You and I have no right to call God Father. Jesus is the only true and living Son of God, but you and I have been afforded that blessing through adoption. And that is an incredible gift. Or or take another one. Forgiveness. That's beautiful, isn't it? Forgiveness is wonderful. But look, today I have turned up wearing the same clothes I wore last night into lovely Cambridge. This could have been part of the rejection process of what happened before. I was at a wedding last night, okay? I I had five hours sleep and I had to get up again and I didn't really want to wake the rest of the family up so I just picked up the clothes that were on the floor from last night and here I am. Now, that is a great sin against fashion and maybe against you. Think about it. Before this morning, relationally, we were probably at zero. None of you knew me except a couple of you. Zero relationship. And then I turn up wearing the clothes from last night and second-hand shoes. Now, we might now be at minus 10 relationally, might we? we? I have a debt against you. But you look, look, look like a gracious bunch. You might forgive me. Right off this crime against fashion. Where are we at now? We're back at zero. That's not what God wants. He wants to call you his precious child Forever. He wants to include you in the family. He he wants God the Father to be your father. He wants Jesus to be your brother. And he wants his Holy Spirit in you. Did you notice how Trinitarian Galatians 4 is? He wants the Holy Spirit in you to confirm your adoption that you could cry out, Abba, Father. God doesn't just want to forgive you. He forgives you so he can embrace you. That's adoption. Are you with me? We could do it for all the different ways that you express the gospel. Like, did you notice you have an inheritance that is only yours by adoption? Look, I have seven children that are in my family. A long time ago, it was just me and the wife. Pizza night was my favourite night of the week. My wife, for some reason, I can't cope with it, she has this tiny appetite. And so she would have this like little acute angle of pizza... And I would get the reflex angle of what was left. Good times. And then we started to have kids and and, and adopt and foster. And our oven is the same size. So my slice of the pizza is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And sometimes I look around at my skinny little pizza. And I say, I'm not sure you should be here, the rest of you. Who does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like the older brother? In the prodigal son story, you've already had all yours and now you want some of mine. You've come back asking for more inheritance. That's not fair. Thank God we don't have an older brother like that. Our Lord Jesus laid down his life so that he could share his inheritance with you. He was delighted to do it. All of this is his. He's going to rule over it. But you know what? He's going to gift it to us so we get to be co-heirs with Christ. This is amazing. I don't know why 
We don't talk about it. We sang about it. Brilliantly chosen worship songs. Well done. They all referenced, didn't they? That we're children of God. That God is our father. But we don't often use the word adoption. Because adoption is for other people. Friends. You and I are the adopted children of God. That's our story. That's our theology. That's the incredible privilege God has given us. And when God adopted us, it wasn't because he was bored or lonely or there was some kind of deficiency in him. God did not adopt you because he needed it. God adopted you because we needed it. God stepped up and became the father that we needed him to be. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. The Holy Spirit comes and guarantees stuff and writes it into our hearts because that's what we need. That's the grace of God, isn't it? That's the spirit of adoption. You know what I'm asking? I'm saying, hey church, why don't we present the world with a visible demonstration of that gospel? That instead of leaving adoption just for people who can't have their own kids, why don't the rest of us think, well, why don't we have a go? Could we be the best parent that a child has ever known? Could we step up? And it could be that people that are struggling with infertility could step up too and think, you know what, it's not about me getting the baby that I want. It's about me being the parent that these children need. That would be amazing. Three things would change, and then we'll close. I believe the lives of children will change. I believe once a child receives the love and grace and stability they need, things change. Now, I'm not being romantic about this. Lots and lots of kids, 70% of kids in care have had neglect, physical and sexual violence against them. That doesn't go away quickly. In fact, think about it. When God adopted you, there were loads of things wrong with your life. Have they all gone away? God chooses to walk with us through the pain and suffering. And that would be our commitment to these kids. That we walk with them and demonstrate the covenant grace of God to these children in our care. Second, I think we begin to offer God the kind of worship that he asked for in the first place. Need a proof text? James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is kicking worship band. You've got one. It's a gift from God, but that isn't how James 1.27 lands. Profound biblical expository preaching. Also what you've got here, a wonderful gift, but not how the verse ends. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is to care for widows and orphans in their distress. And even if you don't like the book of James, and I don't know why you wouldn't, Isaiah 1, Isaiah 58 as a cross-reference. Thirdly, lastly, Imagine the church stepped up and fostered or adopted every child in the UK that needs it. Imagine that happened. What would people think of the church when we visibly demonstrate the grace and mercy of God to the nation's most vulnerable children? I think that's a game changer about the public perception of the gospel because we don't just proclaim a good news, we live a good news that becomes very visible. Now here's the last thing, because I know you might look worried now. I did not bring a van with me, with loads of children to adopt. Doesn't work like that. I do have a van. Long story. The numbers are this. When we started Home for Good, 5,000 children were waiting for adoption, 
and 9,000 foster families were needed. But guess what? We did a bit of Googling. Of churches like yours that love Jesus and are full of, full of the gospel, we reckon there's at least 15,000. You've done it, haven't you? Have you done the maths? I don't need every Christian to foster and adopt 10 children. Uh, you know, if you become a regular donor of Home for Good, they want to give you books, right? Today, they'll give you books if you become a regular donor at the back, but they won't give you an extra child. Because all I need is one new family per church. The rest of the church to wrap around them, and we do it. We meet the entire need. That is doable, isn't it? So we'd love your help to pray into this, to step forward into this, to support others into this, uh, and maybe to give into this. We'd love that. Because with your help, we really could find a home for every child that needs one. Thanks for listening. Uh, let's respond Uh, let's pray uh, for some moments together Uh, Father God you have (coughs) reminded us uh, of the deep needs of our world but you've also reminded us the deep needs of our own hearts and we pray Father God that we would not respond out of the strength that we have that we wouldn't respond with the resources available uh, in our own uh, uh, in our own strength but that we would respond uh, uh, as those who have been deeply loved I thank you that every child caught up in the care system is a child fearfully and wonderfully made by you, known and loved by you. And we pray that uh, the way that you have adopted us would shape the way that we respond uh, to such needs. Uh, We begin, Lord God, by praising you uh, for being such a God of grace uh, and love. I thank you that your grace is so rich, that you're a God of kindness. You overflow with generous care. And because of all of this, you are worthy of all praise. Thank you that your strength was used to redeem, that you worked to bring redemption. And you did these things even at the cost of your own son. Truly, you're a God of glory. You're a God of wondrous grace. And this morning, we praise you anew.